Hey, this is Doc Washburn. We often hear from longtime listeners who wonder why we so rarely put out audio podcasts anymore. People ask what happened to me. Well, here's the answer. When we made the decision to transfer to doing video, a friend of ours who had been in the entertainment industry for many years told us that unless we got some interns to help us produce the video interviews, it was going to be much more time-consuming than just doing the audio podcasts. We had no idea how right he was. We're looking for interns to help us with post-production of our video interviews, and we hope to be able to get you more audio episodes more often soon. In the meantime, here's the audio from our latest video interview, which is now available on YouTube. Welcome to the Doc Washburn Show. If you watch our show, odds are you realize there's no way Donald Trump got 11 million more votes in 2020 than he did in 2016, but still lost to a guy who's clearly suffering from dementia. There's also no way said dementia patient got almost 12 million more votes in 2020 than Barack Obama received in 2008. Anyone who claims these things is suffering from willful blindness. But have you paid attention to what they did in Arizona last November? As with most states, Secretary of State of Arizona was in charge of running the elections, governor, lieutenant governor, all the rest. She's also the Democrat nominee for governor at the time. She refused to debate the Republican nominee, refused to recuse herself from overseeing the election, refused to even campaign for that matter. There's evidence of widespread malfeasance in Republican precincts, especially in the election day in Arizona 2022. Just like with Trump in 2020, it's unreasonable to claim the Arizona gubernatorial election wasn't stolen. So it's an honor to welcome the woman whom I believe should be the Republican governor of Arizona, even as we speak, and the author of the new book, Unafraid, Just Getting Started, Carrie Lake. Ms. Lake, thank you for coming to the Doc Washburn Show. How are you today? I'm doing great. It's so good to be with you, Doc, and I love Arkansas. I'm thrilled to be uh, here and um, talking to the people of Arkansas. Thanks for having me, and and I agree with you wholeheartedly. Uh, We have a fraud sitting in the governor's office here in Arizona, and that's why I am on a mission to reform our elections so that we, the people, get to choose who represents us. Now, you're still pursuing legal action over what they did to you and your voters on Election Day. And there is precedent for the Arizona Supreme Court overturned a gubernatorial election way back in 1917. Where do things stand for you right now? Well, my team has filed. uh, We we started in the Maricopa County Court. We moved up to the appellate all the way to the Arizona Supreme Court. They ordered that lower judge to take up a big issue, signature verification. He ruled against us again. It wasn't a surprise. You know, the corruption runs from top to bottom in the system. But we're filing an appeal. We filed a notice for appeal. We're waiting for the appellate court to give us a court date, and we are preparing our appeal. And interestingly, these people who run our elections in Maricopa County, which is one of those mega counties, which means it's a massive county, and you know all you have to do is win Maricopa, and the other counties really don't matter when it comes to the way we run our elections here, sadly. And uh, 65% of the state's population lives here. So when they put fraud and rig elections in Maricopa County, they really take the sacred vote away from all other Arizonans. And frankly, they affect the sacred vote of all Americans because our elections here affect so many Americans being that it's a border state. And so the people running our our county elections um, need to be held accountable. And they are now suing me personally 
for defamation for speaking out and revealing the truth about what's happening in Maricopa County. And I, um, I've got a message for them. They can sue me every day, all day. I'm never going to stop speaking about the tragedy of what happened on election day, the sabotage of election day and what the people who run our elections did to the people of Arizona. And so we're in a court battle Royale and we're not going to stop fighting because this, I believe is the tip of the spear here in Arizona. And once we get some justice here, it will spread across this country. And and I think their decision to sue you is going to backfire big time because there's such a thing as depositions and discovery. Now, those of us who saw clips from your campaign appearances last year from the other 49 states, very impressed. And despite what Barack Obama said, it wasn't just because you looked good on camera. Yeah, that was his attack on me. When he came to town, I talk about it in my book. When Obama came to town to campaign for uh, my, uh, you know, do nothing drip of a opponent, um, I was wondering, I, was, I scratched my head. I said, is he, is he actually campaigning for me? Because he said, I, I'm articulate. I look good on TV. And I was like, okay, so where's the criticism here? Exactly. You had a grasp of the issues. You knew how to communicate the issues effectively. And you got a very positive response from voters. And, and like I say, those of us in the other 49 states could see this. We knew. Okay, this woman's going to be the next governor of Arizona. And then um, unbelievable, incredible shenanigans happen on Election Day. For people outside Arizona, maybe you can kind of summarize what what went on that day. Well, they knew that this movement was so massive, the biggest movement we've ever seen in Arizona politics. And it, it was organic. It was real. The people, when I walked away from my career, my 27-year career covering this beautiful state and was welcomed into uh, Arizona's homes for three hours a day, this isn't just uh, a casual relationship. We have a serious relationship, me and the people of Arizona. And that's why they reached out to me in droves by the thousands after I walked away from my seven-figure contract covering Arizona because I no longer wanted to be part of um, what had become of journalism. It had turned into propaganda. And the people said, would you please run for office? We know you, we trust you, and you understand the issues facing our state. And so with with their encouragement, I jumped in, and, and we the people jumped in behind me and with me and beside me. And our internal polling showed we were up between 10 and 12 points There was no way that Katie Hobbs could possibly win. But the swamp, which is very deep and dirty and dark here, they realized that what I was going to do is exactly what I said I was going to do. We were going to secure the border, starting within um, minutes of taking office, and reform our elections. Those are two of the biggest issues that people care about in Arizona. And they knew they couldn't have someone like me in there because I'm not controlled by them. They can't blackmail me, they can't bribe me, and they can't control me. And so they just, in broad daylight, stole this election from the people of Arizona by sabotaging Election Day, knowing that 75% of the people showing up on Election Day are voting for me. They uh, rolled out broken equipment on Election Day. A quarter of a million ballots were rejected because of that broken equipment, and they intentionally printed the wrong ballots, the wrong image on the ballot for election day voters, knowing that the people showing up on election day were voting for me. They also did a whole bunch of shenanigans heading into the election and the days before the election with hundreds of thousands of ballots with no chain of custody. 
They found a million ways to cheat. They incorporated each and every one of them and they stole this election and they installed a fraudulent uh, government for Arizona. And so we're going to fight back and we are in the process of fighting back and I won't stop. And I saw a video of people who couldn't hang around for three or four hours and finally just gave up and walked away. And there's no telling how many people uh, like that uh, were affected. Uh, Tens of thousands. We've estimated up to 50,000 on Election Day may have walked away or more. Yeah, That's an estimate based on exit polling and, and things that we've learned from that. But, you know. Hey, listen, my, I want to vote. I'll, I'll stand in line all day to vote, but people really did have to stand in line four, five, and six hours. It's just unbelievable. I had a, a, the most heartbreaking message I got was from a woman who was eight and a half months pregnant. And she said, I was so looking forward to voting for you. I could not wait to cast my vote for you, but I just, after two hours in line, I couldn't stand any longer. I couldn't do it. And then I had a woman who'd been voting every election since 1981, and she, she went to three different polling locations. None of them were functioning. And she said, I finally just gave up. At the end of the day, I couldn't vote. This happened to thousands of people. It was heart-wrenching. It, it pained me. I'm not a crier. I cried watching men who had fought for our country walk away with a look of just disgrace and sadness when they realized that they waited in line for hours to vote only to get to the front of the line, enter their ballot into the tabulator and have it spit out, rejected, and then be told, oh, put it over here in this drawer or this garbage bag, and we're going to take it down to the county. We'll make sure it gets counted. And then there's People no there's no chain of custody on that, right? No, the chain of custody was was not followed in many, many, for hundreds of thousands of ballots. And unfortunately, the judges said, well, you know, the way they ruled was, well, that's kind of an option now. So they've they've cemented, if they don't turn around and do the right thing, the judges have basically given their stamp of approval to an election where they didn't follow the election manual, where they don't follow election law. They're basically saying... It's a suggestion, not a law. If you want to follow it, follow it. If you don't, don't. We can't have elections run this way. I'm fighting and I'm standing up and I'm taking hits every day because I care about my country and my children's future. I want Democrats' votes to count. I want independents and Republicans. I had a lot of Democrats that voted for me and they're sickened by what they saw with our elections. We just can't survive as a country if we don't reform our elections. And get traceable paper ballots, vote in a small precinct, count where the vote is cast so that we're not hauling ballots around in boxes and trucks, delivering them to companies that are not, uh, that are outside the county. It's just un- unbelievable the way we're running elections. And we have video proof showing them getting into secretly, uh, retesting machines, getting into the machines, changing the configurations, so that on election day, they could roll out those machines. 60% of polling locations got these, these machines that were not functioning. And guess what? They were primarily, 60% of them were primarily in all Republican areas. Yeah, Republican precincts. Our guest is Carrie Lake. The book is Unafraid, Just Getting Started. You alluded to when you walked away from a very successful uh, television news career, you're the evening news anchor on a big TV station in Phoenix, Fox 10, for many years. What prompted you to leave your TV news, evening news anchor job? 
Well, it was my dream job, to be honest. I, um, as a young child of youngest of nine growing up in rural Iowa, we were not wealthy. We were actually rather poor, although my parents never told us we were poor. Looking back, we were very poor. My dad was a history and government teacher. Mom was a nurse and we had to work for everything we ever had. If we wanted toothpaste and shampoo, we had to pay for it and work for it. And so I worked my way through college. I graduated from high school at 16, put myself through college by working the entire time, earned my college degree and set out to become a broadcast journalist because I've always been fascinated with people's story, how they got to where they are. And um, I was successful through hard work and working my way up the ladder of broadcast journalism. I had no ends. I had no, uh, you know, family connections or personal connections. It was just through hard work. I landed at the top job in uh, all of Arizona, making a fortune. And during COVID, I just realized I lifted my nose off the grindstone and I didn't even recognize my field of, of profession anymore. It didn't look like journalism anymore. It felt like propaganda. And I found myself at the heart of it saying, I don't want to be a propagandist. I want to be a journalist. It was getting very difficult to push stories with balance. And I finally just said, if I can't do this the way that I can live with, with integrity, then it's immoral. And I walked away from it. And only when I walked away from it, um, did the people recruit me to run for politics. I never imagined in my wildest dreams getting into politics. But during COVID, I think we all realized that they were pushing, the media was pushing uh, fear, division, and isolation. Because if you're afraid, if you're divided, and you're isolated, you're very easy to control. And the government uh, was pushing that as well. And now we're seeing how corrupt our government is, how corrupt the corporate media is. The people who control and count our votes and control the information we receive are the most powerful and, frankly, dangerous people in this country if they go rogue and if they go corrupt. And that's what's happened in America. Tucker Carlson has been talking about that uh, a lot lately, even a few months before they took him off the air. He was on some podcast saying, when I realized that the media is not there to give you the news, they're there to uh, protect the very small number of people that are controlling everything. He said that was kind of like an epiphany for him. It was a real awakening. And yeah. see that going on because all I think it was the day after the November election in Arizona, I had Fox and friends on. And one of the guys is saying, no, we're not saying anything untoward happened yesterday in Arizona. I'm like, dude, you know that it did. <laughs> which which election? Are you about 2020 or 22? No, 2022 in, in Phoenix. Oh, yeah. It, it was, they, <laughs> then he wasn't paying attention because on the ground, we saw it. Everybody saw it. Everybody in Arizona knows Katie Hobbs didn't win. Katie yeah. Hobbs herself knows that she didn't win. But okay. what they're counting on and they know that we know that they stole the election and they're saying, yeah, what are you going to do about it? Yeah. What are you yeah. going to do about it? And that is a good question. What are we going to do about it? I'm certainly not the only one standing up willing to fight. I know there's thousands of people in, in Arkansas who are standing up for election reform. There are thousands of heroes here in Arizona standing up with me. And we're not sitting down and we're not going to sit down and we're not going to shut up. We're going to continue to fight. I'm going to fight in the courts and we're going to make these judges reveal who they are, make them reveal where they stand on this country because the Republic 
is counting on a judge somewhere to do the right thing. And maybe it'll be a jury at some point. Who knows? But we'll take this to the Supreme Court if we can get it there. I'll never stop fighting for fair elections. And, you know, I, I don't know what the outcome will be. I think a lot of people think I have a crystal ball in front of me. I don't. I pray to God that we're able to save our country. Yeah. And I'm going to do everything I can to do that. I just, um, we have to wait and work it through the courts. Speaking of which, the book is called Unafraid. That's a great name because so many people are afraid about the future of our country. When people express those concerns to you, because you're all over the country all the time talking to thousands of people, what do you tell them? I I just tell them, you know, if if you had a, a childhood where your parents taught you a work ethic, and I know that of our age, we probably learned that when your dad said, hey, uh, Doc, I don't know what he called you. Son, I have a job I need you to do. Okay, it's it's um, it's really important, and I know that you can do it. I know that you have the ability to do it. It's going to take a little extra work, but can I trust that you're going to work hard to make this happen? And you would be so proud that your dad put that faith in you yeah. that you would work your hardest. It might be hard. You might think you're going to mess up. You might not think you can do it, but then you remember, oh, my dad said I could do it. I know I can do it. My dad gave me this job because he said I could do it. And you lean on that. So when we're having those dark moments, we just need to lean on our Heavenly Father who placed us all here. Why were we placed here right now? Why were the founding fathers, the 56 men who signed their death warrant 247 years ago, why were they placed there 247 years ago? to help create this country because God put them there. And so when you feel weak, when you feel a dark moment, you just have to remember that that same God who parted the Red Sea is with us now. He's placed us here at this pivotal moment for a reason. I do believe that God is going to win this battle and I'm not going to quit fighting. I know he's placed me here and each and every one of us because we're the people to um, save our country right now. Uh, before we run out of time here, I got to ask you about the first time you met President Trump and what was the moment that inspired you to become a Trump supporter? Well, I was inspired by President Trump uh, when he came down that escalator. I remember people in the newsroom and my work colleagues were, oh, my gosh, this is racist, all of this stuff. And I said, what did he say? That was so bad. So I went home that night because I happened to miss it when it happened live. And I rewatched it and I and it was like. An epiphany. I was so excited because I'd been disillusioned with where the Republican Party was going. It was on life support. You know, the warmongers who'd been uh, rolled out to to run for office for president were destroying the country. And here we have a guy comes down an escalator, speaks to the everyday American, speaks to the middle class, what's left to it, the working class. And he understands what's going on. It was music to my ears. I was with him hook, line, and sinker. But obviously, as a journalist, I didn't go out on the air and say that. I, you know, I, I always try to keep my opinion in check. Right. And so um, I was uh, uh, blessed as a journalist to be able to interview sitting presidents. I was granted an exclusive interview with Obama, and I think I treated him fairly. And then President Trump, while he was president, granted me an interview. And I was uh, able to do a great interview with him. He trusted me. He gave me a second interview. But it was during a rally, an election integrity rally, where there were, I think, four or five other Republicans running for governor. And President Trump came to town for that rally. And we were all there sitting in the audience. And he went through and he listed each of our names. 
And there was tepid applause for the other candidates. And then he mentioned my name and the, the crowd went crazy. The doors practically blew off the arena. It was a full minute of chanting and the crowd going wild. And President Trump was like, he was shocked from it. He pulled away from the podium and he said, wow, looked out at me and he said, you're going to have a really good night. And apparently he left the stage that day and, and told Charlie Kirk, who had put the event on, who is this Carrie Lake? I need to meet her. <laughs> and so a month later, I was sitting in Trump Tower with him. We had a wonderful meeting. I sat there with my husband and myself, and we talked about our movement, what I want to do, how I want to take President Trump's America First policies and bring them to Arizona in a statewide Arizona First policies so that we can bring back our sovereignty. And so he became a, a, a friend and a supporter. He endorsed me. And I still consider him a good friend. I talked to him uh, with some frequency. As a matter of fact, I just talked to him and saw him last week. And I, um, I just really treasure his friendship. But more importantly, as an American mom, I love him and I, uh, I treasure what he's doing for our country. I love his family. Melania is incredible. His children, I've gotten a chance to meet almost all of them. They love this country and they've sacrificed so much. It's going to take all of us sacrificing, though, not just President Trump, not just me, not just a few of us. We all have to be willing to sacrifice something to save this country. Absolutely. Our guest is Carrie Lake. The book is Unafraid, just getting started. It's available wherever you get your books. If you want to know when she's coming close to you, go to the website, carrylake.com, K-A-R-I, lake.com. Ms. Lake, you would make a great talk show host on the radio, but I certainly hope, and a great podcaster, but I certainly hope that you win in court and you are put in the governor's mansion, Arizona, where you should be. We appreciate you coming on the Doc Washburn Show, and we wish you Godspeed. Thank you, Doc. It's happened before. But over a hundred years ago, they've, yeah. they've had it happen and we know we're on the right side. We're on the truthful side. So, uh, thank you very much. And thank you, Arkansas. Looking forward to seeing you later this month. God bless you. Thank you so much. Thanks again to Carrie Lake for a great interview. Our tweet of the day is coming up. If you've tried to buy a car recently, you realize you may have a hard time finding what you're looking for. People I know have actually bought vehicles from hundreds of miles away from where they live. That's where Red River Auto comes in. Red River Auto is a big old car dealership in the middle of the USA that believes in freedom, including your freedom to buy a car, truck, van, or SUV the way you want to. You can buy online and they'll drive it to you no matter where you are. Red River Auto wants to make your car buying experience as easy and transparent as possible. Red River Auto Group has perfected the online buying process. Just go to redriverauto.com and pick from hundreds of new and used vehicles. You can purchase a vehicle online if you have any questions. One of Red River's trained experts will help you through the whole process. Red River Auto makes car buying online easy. Your whole car buying process is completely transparent. If you want to buy a car, truck, van, or SUV, order online from the nationwide car dealer that believes in freedom. The dealer that will deliver your vehicle to your front door, no matter where you live in the continental U.S., redriverauto.com. You'll be glad you did. I want to tell you about the best-kept secret in American healthcare. Are you having problems with sinuses and allergies? Are you experiencing dizziness, vertigo, problems with your blood sugar, fibromyalgia, eczema, psoriasis, migraines? The Arkansas Upper Cervical Center might be able to help you. Let me tell you how. 
Your skull weighs anywhere from 8 to 15 pounds. It rests on the top bone of your spinal column, the atlas, or C1, which only weighs 2 ounces. So it's really easy for your atlas to get out of alignment. If it does, your whole spinal column can get kinked up like a chain. When that happens, your central nervous system isn't able to communicate with the rest of your body as it's designed to do. I had severe hay fever for five or six weeks every spring all my life and migraines year-round. When I got my atlas adjusted, the hay fever went away and the migraines went away for good. Whatever malady you're suffering from, do yourself a favor. Call my friends at the Arkansas Upper Cervical Center, 501-279-2009, for a free consultation. They've helped so many people I know. Please call them to see if they can help you. That number for your free consultation is 501-279-2009. If you're outside Central Arkansas, go to their website, turnmypoweron.com. Click on the tab that says find a doctor near you, and I sure hope you can. Mike Lindell says because of your amazing support for MyPillow 2.0, he's expanded MyPillow's USA manufacturing and jobs. So he's clearing out his percale bed sheets by giving them to you at closeout prices. King size percale bed sheets, only $39 a set. Queen size, only $35 a set. Full size, $29. And twin size, just $25. Use promo code DWS to take advantage of this once in a lifetime offer. Right now, Mike's biggest My Slippers closeout sale ever is on. Get Mike's all season My Slippers and Sandals at clearance prices. Mike's all season Moccasin Slippers are just $25. Mike's My Slippers Sandals are just $19.50. They're both made with Mike's patented impact gel that absorbs and relieves pressure so you can comfortably wear them all day long. Just use promo code DWS for huge discounts. Remember, DWS stands for Doc Washburn Show. MyPillow.com. Quantities are extremely limited at these amazing prices, so please order now. Just use promo code DWS. Today's tweet of the day is brought to you by Red River Auto, the big old car dealership in the middle of the USA that believes in freedom, including your freedom to buy the car, truck, van, or SUV of your choice the way you want to online and have it delivered to your front door anywhere in the continental USA. Tweet of the day. Okay, today's tweet of the day is from good old Mike Miller over at redstate.com. Article is entitled, Anheuser-Busch Still Doesn't Get It. CEO reverts to ridiculous defense of Bud Light's Dylan Mulvaney disaster. And he says in part, as the wise old metaphor clearly says, when you're in a hole, stop digging. The adage also requires the person or entity to realize that he, she, or it is in fact in a hole. As importantly, the person or entity must admit to himself, herself, or itself why the hole exists and then proceed to make rational decisions in a serious attempt to escape from the hole. We're not talking rocket science here. This brings us to Anheuser-Busch, and it's continuing Dylan Mulvaney-linked Bud Light disaster. If you just arrived on Earth, Dylan Mulvaney, a struggling actor, is a 26-year-old man who likes to pretend he's a teenage girl. As a... TikTok influencer. 
The guy has raked in untold amounts of cash, including from Bud Light's ill-fated marketing department to feature the brand in X amount of his TikTok videos per month. Anyway, the stuff began to hit the fan for Bud Light big time after the Mulvaney sponsorship began on April 1st, which the company initially claimed was part of a larger campaign to attract younger audiences. The deeper the hole got, the faster and deeper Anheuser-Busch and Bud Light continued to dig. Needless to say, the deeper the hole, the deeper the dive in Anheuser-Busch's market capitalization value. As we reported in late May, Bud Light sales had declined nearly 30%. Astonishingly, the brand has fallen from America's top-selling beer to, at last report, 15th place. Moreover, the multinational corporation's market capitalization has fallen nearly $15 billion since May 1st, when it stood closed at $130.2 billion. As I write, the valuation sits at $115.28 billion. As sales of Bud Light continue to freefall, and Anheuser-Busch's market cap continues its swan dive, the corporation continued to spin like a top to no avail. As we reported July 11th, images began circulating on social media showing that Bud Light had been hit with Costco's notorious Death Star in some locations. Now, the Death Star is an asterisk in the upper right-hand corner of price cards. The Death Star is used to inform customers at Costco that a product is not scheduled to be restocked. Podcaster Joe Rogan tag-teamed with rapper Ice Cube in mid-July on the Joe Rogan Experience to further burn Bud Light to a charcoal briquette. Rogan said, people are sick of this expletive deleted. They're sick of social things like that that are controversial, getting stuffed in your face where you have to accept People are like, I don't want to accept it. Ice Cube responded, politics really shouldn't be in someone's beer mug. So after all of the above and worse, what is Anheuser-Busch's latest argument? The same ridiculous argument it used early on. During a recent call discussing the company's first quarter earnings disaster, CEO Michelle Ducaris again trotted out the absurd excuse that the partnership with Dylan Mulvaney was just a single can of Bud Light sent to Mulvaney and that Bud Light never intended a rollout of Mulvaney featuring products. Here's the quote. Here's the quote from the call. He says, let me start by clarifying a few facts. This was the result of one can It was not made for production or sale to the general public. It was one post, not a formal campaign or advertisement. Bud Light is very important to our U.S. business, and I would never minimize the situation. However, seeing the context of our global company provides perspective. How to put this tactfully? What difference does the number of cans produced make? Memo to Anheuser-Busch 
CEO, Mr. Ducaris, and I'll say this slowly. One can or one million cans is totally irrelevant. But here's the thing. As Ducaris made clear with his however qualifier, he's more concerned with Anheuser-Busch's global market than Bud Light customers. Fine. After all, once a 30% decline in Bud Light sales and a $15 billion market cap dive when compared to go woke, go broke priorities. Here's the other thing. Bud Light spent decades and untold millions of marketing dollars building brand loyalty among hardworking, everyday American beer drinkers, only to risk it all on just one can. Featuring a 26-year-old dude with a 5 o'clock shadow, prancing around like a herky-jerky 16-year-old girl. So please, Mr. Chief Executive Officer at Anheuser-Busch, can you explain to us just one more time how that makes sense? We'll wait. Now that is today's tweet of the day from the great Mike Miller over at redstate.com. Brought to you by Mitch Ward and the crew from Red River Auto. We appreciate y'all. Tweet of the day. You've been watching episode 398 of the all-new Doc Washburn Show. The views and opinions expressed on the Doc Washburn Show do not necessarily reflect those of our advertisers, but they love us and we love them. If you have any questions for us, email us at contact at docwashburnshow.com. Today's program has been produced by Tim Terrible, directed by Mick Messy. This has been a Terribly Messy production. Portions of today's show will be taken overseas and dropped. If you like a transcript of today's episode of the all-new Doc Washburn Show, simply peel the roof off a Rolls-Royce panel truck and send it to Mansur's Computer Solutions, 7th floor of the Ephemeral B. Smoot Building, Whitehall, Arkansas, in care of Sheriff Mansur Sempier Tenth. Senior Vice President, Engineering, IT, and Interoperability for the Doc Washburn Show. And that's the way it was, Monday, July 3rd, 2023.